The Back Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 623 for Sunday, September 18th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App. The show where, with the goal being to learn three, nay, four new things, we share your questions, we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found, and that way, each week, we're all a little more enlightened as we leave or start our week, whatever the case may be. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Uh, and before I pass it to my co-host here, I do want to point out, because I've screwed myself up in the intro here by changing the order of, in which I do things, sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com and Barebones Software at Barebones.com. We'll talk about both of them later. How you doing, Mr. Braun? Yeah, here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing? <laughs> Good. All sorts of new stuff, man. I'm yeah, just, I'm not just giddy with anticipation. It's uh, it's going to be it's been an interesting week, right? So uh, so iPhones began their their public deliveries on Friday. Many, many of us got them. Uh, many of us have them on order still. And uh, so we will talk uh, yeah. and be ready to answer questions about uh, the iPhone seven and, and all of that good stuff. I, I, I will, um, you know, as an iPhone SE user, John. I got the, as I mentioned, I got the, the regular size iPhone 7. I got the Jet Black 128 gig. And um, it's fine. I, the thing I really like the most so far after basically a day of using it is the, uh, is the stereo speakers. I, the, it blew me away the first time I went to play something yesterday and instinctively put the phone, kind of tilted it toward my ear so that I would hear the sound and realize the sound was being sent the other direction. I was like, oh, that's right. It sound it the sound is really really kind of nice for you know checking out like little YouTube clips or or whatever, so I like that. But I I am I am thoroughly unhappy about how large this thing is. Now again, I only have the iPhone Seven, but coming from the SE, that's uh, it's too it's too big. I don't know. I honestly don't know if I'll keep this thing. We'll see how yeah. it goes. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, I have one on the way too, Dave. I believe it. Because at first, uh, so I have a Verizon store, a corporate Verizon store yeah. uh, here in Fairfield. And sure. uh, I stopped by to size the cases. So I stopped by on Friday, which was release day. And I wanted to, you know, see if some of my six cases would fit. Yeah. You know, they said, yeah, we'll have some in. But I couldn't because they had an anti-theft tether, which right. is annoying because, because VCW support has been chatting with me. And they said, you know, thanks for being part of the Verizon family. I'm like, well, what do you think? Am I going to steal from family? Come on, man. Yeah, family definitely steals from each other. But, <laughs> yeah, no, no, but anyways, I was normal. there. That's normal, in fact, yeah. And then one of the reps, and then I'm like, oh, well, you know, you, you guys told me you got this, uh, you know, deal where I can, you know, swap my six for a seven, and right. uh, even though I'm only a year in, and uh, you know, I don't want to do that. And they're like, um, yeah, yeah, you can do that. They're like, uh, you know, so you want the 128 matte black? Um, yeah, we don't have that in stock. They had a silver in stock, so I actually could have walked away okay. with a new phone, but I wanted the black, sure, the, uh, matte black. Yeah, and uh, okay. and I think it cost me a uh, hundred bucks extra. Um, and then they asked me, and then I did two high tech things. Uh, one, I showed my ID using a method that we're going to talk about, um, in a moment. Yeah. 
I don't want to yeah. give that away. And then number two, I was able to pay the upgrade charge using Apple Pay. <laughs> they have a point of sale things that have a NFC reader. So that was very cool. So I'm going to get it on Friday. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy. There's a lot of new features, uh, both in that and iOS 10 that uh, I look forward to uh, exploring. Yeah. Well, and you've got, you've already upgraded to iOS 10, right? You're, you're all set on that. Boy, wasn't that fun. I'm glad I did it with iTunes. Uh, some people oh, had really? a little issue. Well, some people had an issue if they did it OTA uh, early on. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought something was weird when I ran iTunes and it said, um, yeah, you ready for uh, 10.0.1? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't mislead yourself. The, the release version has always been 10.0.1. The, the, hmm. the, yeah, this is where it's valuable to run the, G, the, the Golden Masters, John, because... They, I had 10.0.1 a week before the release because I was running the developer GM. So, hmm. yeah, no, the 10.0.1 had nothing to do with Apple's, with the, with the little snafu that happened, you know, for what, an hour or two after the, oh. uh, the release. Yep. No, 10.0.1 was always the release and, uh, and was always planned that way. Oh, very good. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but what, here's the, now here's something interesting. I got my iPhone seven, you know, UPS delivered it on Friday. I go to uh, set it up and restore it from the backup. And, you know, cause I did an iCloud backup of my SE and I wanted to restore from that. And it came up and said, do you want to update to 10.0.1? It's like, um, yeah. Okay. So I had to do the update to 10.0.1. It then set itself up as a blank iPhone uh, and then I had to erase the thing and go back to the beginning and, and restore uh, to, you know, my SE's backup because it wouldn't restore to a backup that was from a newer OS version than was on here. So yeah. it's possible this phone had 10.0.0 on it. I, had, I don't know what version it had on it, but uh, but it, it, it needed to do a software update. So there you go. Yeah, I heard that, too. I heard some people claim that it actually came with uh, uh, the nine that it shipped with nine on it some that, people seven shipped with nine something i bet that, then i bet that's what mine was yeah i bet it was a nine like a nine three five or maybe even a nine three six kind of thing or whatever it was yeah but go figure it's all good now it's um you know i the um i actually now prefer when when either getting a new phone or migrating from one phone to the other i actually prefer doing the icloud uh restore as opposed to to the iTunes restore. I find it more reliable because iTunes will try and not only restore your data, but also restore apps from iTunes. Now this will save you on your uh, broadband, you know, on your bandwidth. So, so there's still a compelling reason to do that if you're worried about your bandwidth caps or anything like that. But, um, but it, restoring apps from iTunes in inevitably will fail at some point during the process. And then it, the phone kind of has to jump over to restoring apps from the store. And, and that has always been that, that transition has always been a little clunky uh, in my experience. So now I just, I just do the whole thing from iCloud and it works great. So. I, yeah. I, even when I had problems with my success and, yeah. you know, was, was swapping them, you know, because they, they got exploded. Yeah. Um, I always noticed no matter which way I did it, there was always this point where, no matter how I restored, um, a lot of apps would be in the waiting state and some would be forever waiting. Sometimes I can nudge them if I went to the app store and said, yeah, can you, can you, you know, get going here? Can you, let's, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's get it rolling. Yeah. No, it, it, um, 
it, but otherwise, you know, it went, it went fairly smoothly. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I put a, I put a, uh, screen shield on it, a glass, you know, screen protector. I just bought one. Or actually, I bought a three pack from Amazon for like seven bucks, but it's the same size. You can use the exact same screen protectors that you would use for the iPhone six. None of that has changed. And, uh, and you know, the, I, I, I mentioned the, the, uh, not the camera, the, the speakers. I also really like the home button, um, not being a moving part. I've always been hesitant pressing the home button on all of my iDevices because I know that being a moving part, it gets janky over time and I, and you can feel it, you know, when you have a phone that's a year old versus a brand new phone, I, I can tell the difference in the home button. And, uh, and so I'm always hesitant to hit the home button, especially like double tapping it. I always feel like, Ooh, I'm, I'm burning, you know, two more. There's a, there's a mean time between failure. And at some point this home button's going to hit it. And we tend to keep our iPhones for a few years here in the house. So I'm always, I'm always sort of, uh, leery of the home button being the thing that's going to fail. And so now that there is no more moving, uh, home button, I actually kind of like it. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. It's, it's kind of cool. It's a little weird that your whole hand feels the click of the home button as opposed to, you know, just your, your thumb that's actually clicking it. But uh, but that that worked out fine. And for anyone that wants to know um, the trick, the touch ID trick of setting up three fingers as one or even five fingers as one still works on the iPhone seven. So I was able to set up, you know, all three well, index uh, thumb and middle on my right hand as one finger on the, uh, on, you know, on the iPhone seven. And then I just set up the same with, for my left hand. So I have two fingers defined and really it's six. Uh, and the way you do that is when it tells you to put your finger on the home button, you just put it on. And then when it tells you to lift it off, great move to the next finger. And I just go thumb index, middle thumb, index, middle thumb, index, middle, and it rotates through and then everything works fine. And it unlocks no problem. I love it. Nice. Yeah. The, uh, the one thing I explored, and I can do with the six, I wasn't sure about this. And we actually had a question from someone. I didn't know the answer, but now I do because I tried it. But they were like, so this raw support, or it's also called um, DNG, digital negative. Yeah. Uh, raw photo support. I thought it was just on the seven, but no, I believe you can do it. So it's on the six. The, I think it's the six, 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 six S. The six S and later. The 6S, okay. the 6S so Plus, the 6S. and the SE. Yeah, yeah. Because I tried it. Well, you know, I read that it's supported. I'm like, oh, great. You know, well, let me uh, let me go to the camera app and uh, take one. I'm like, um, yeah, where's, where's, where's the option to do this? Camera app doesn't take RAW. Uh, get Lightroom Mobile, and you can then take DNG photos. And I did with my success. I'm, I'm not entirely sure why it's a, a good thing <laughs> or better so far, I'll have to figure out why, but um, but you can do it with a success at iOS 10. So that's uh, right using Lightroom and uh, perhaps other programs. So I'll fiddle with that. Yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm not a a, a photography person, so I, I I know that that people that are love being able to take raw photos uh, or DNG photos, as you said. I, I would love to hear from one of you folks uh, if you can kind of help us understand what the benefit of that is. I know there is one. Like I said, we just we just don't well, know what the benefit is. Yeah. Well, someone at the show we went to actually explain it to me. The thing is, JPEG is lossy. The problem with uh, saving something as JPEG is you've already lost data. 
And if you want to have the most options as far as when you do post-processing, then that's why raw is better. So in a nutshell, that's raw. is also bigger because sure. Because JPEG uh, compresses it uh, or filters out some data. So I want to talk about this show we went to um, and and I realized, excuse me, it's probably a little too early to start talking about anything we might've seen there or or any of that. We'll save that for an episode or two as we kind of let it uh, process and and cogitate about it. But we went to Pepcom on Thursday night, which is a press event. This one is usually a bigger one. It was in New York and it was big. There were about 80 companies there. Uh, all geared towards things that they're releasing for the holiday season, or at least that's the timing. The holiday spectacular. That's right. And I would say of those 80 companies, there were maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 of them, a sizable percentage that had products that I would consider, you know, falling in the realm of the smart home uh, product line. And as I talked to each one of them, there was a, an immediate trend that that I noticed, and it was 100% true across the board of all these companies. Now, this is not an Apple-specific event. Um, obviously, you know, because Apple has a huge impact on on the market, people talk about Apple, but it's, it's not an Apple-specific event. It's just general technology. And everybody that did smart home products would say, yeah we support HomeKit or we will support HomeKit, but frankly, it doesn't matter because we support Alexa. And, uh, and that, that was far and away the, the, the chorus of all of these companies independently saying that, yeah, Apple's really kind of screwed the pooch on, uh, on their whole HomeKit thing. They've added way too much security to it. It doesn't, it's not flexible. You can't actually get things to talk to each other. And it's really a pain in the neck for users too. And, and I've noticed that, especially over the summer, as I go to people's homes that are not technology people at all. In fact, my father and mother, uh, or my father-in-law and his, his wife, I'm not sure exactly how, 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 how that works, but anyway, um, they, they are, they are not averse to technology, but they also don't want to have to rely on it, especially his wife. Uh, she's very kind of adamant about, you know, being a purist and, and I mean, she likes her computer. She likes her phone. Don't get me wrong, but she's not the kind of person that's going to go out and get like the latest and greatest hotness. Like, like you or I might, right, John, uh, she told me about how great Alexa was, uh, or, you know, or echo is what they have. But, uh, but she's like, Oh, this thing's awesome. It works just great. I can do all these different things with it. This is a woman that chooses not to have a dishwasher at her lake house because she appreciates the purity of washing (laughs) dishes after each meal. This is not a financially rooted decision at all. Uh, You know, they're they're, like money is not a for money for a dishwasher is not a concern in this house. It but it's all about, I you know, it's a nice family bonding experience. We get to interact with each other. So we will do the dishes by hand uh, in our lake house. And, and, And this is how it will be. Um, but, uh, but she's the one that was like preaching about me to, to Alexa or about echo and, uh, and Amazon really has done something spectacular with it. Not only did they just make the platform open enough that it just, it's very easy to make it work with other devices, but their whole far field voice thing being that, you know, the, the device can be literally 20 feet from you and you say, Hey, Alexa, please set me a timer. And it will do it. Or, hey, Alexa, turn on the lights here. Um, at that Sonos event that I was at a couple of weeks ago, 
they announced upcoming support for Alexa so that now Alexa or yeah, Alexa enabled products, including the Echo. And now the Dot um, will be able to control your Sonos. I believe Apple has has lost the um, the the smart home control market. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever messed with with HomeKit and trying to get a home set up and everything. I, I see where they're going with it. Oh, absolutely! It's a yep. mess. It's awful. It's an awful well, experience. Yeah, and the thing I noticed. So actually, there was an event I went to a while ago, and I actually babble about it. I'll keep it very brief. But that Tato Smart AC Control, one yeah. of the things that the show that I went to that they highlighted is, yeah, we uh, we got Alexa support. Uh, I, I don't think I mentioned that before. Um, right. But you'd find it if you go to their page. And the thing is, if you dig on their page, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, HomeKit, we're uh, you know we got the hardware in our device, but we're not going to have support until 2017. Yeah, because it's kind of a pain in the neck. So, it's a pain uh, yeah. in the neck. So, uh, they've definitely leapfrogged Apple. And the thing is, even now, Dave, up until iOS 10, you didn't even have an Apple app to configure it. You had to get like Eve, I think it was. Um, oh, yeah. Or, or something else. Um, yeah. Uh, exposing it was was kind of a pain in the neck. And I don't think it's going to do it. Uh, I mean, I don't think that I, I like that they've put a home app in in iOS 10. I mean, it solves that problem of. So how does this work again? Right. But uh, but I still don't I don't feel like that's going to be enough. It might be. I mean, Apple is not averse to making wholesale changes. I mean, just look at what they've done to the cloud over the years. Right. I mean, when they find that that hasn't worked, they just change it and, and you know, sort of punt on everything they had. So that may happen here. But um, but yeah, it's just, it, you know. It, it it it's all this stuff that needs to be you know made for HomeKit. It's like no guys, that like you gotta you gotta be a little more flexible on this, and you just gotta make it work. So here here's the interesting thing: um, when the uh, Echo first came out, it was one ninety nine. I think it's one seventy nine now. And essentially, what what the Amazon Echo is is it's a um, it's this this device that's it listens to what you tell it to do and all of that. And it also has a fairly decent speaker in it. OK, uh, for listening to music, because you can tell it. And I'm not I, somebody in the chat room, Dan C in the chat room here at MacGeekGub.com slash stream. He just yelled at me for um, for activating his 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 echo. So my apologies. But you tell it, play me some music, you know, play me uh, whatever, you know, my Cajun listening playlist on uh on, on Pandora or whatever, you know, whatever station it is and boom, it just plays it right out of its own speaker. And, uh, and then you can tell it, you know, volume 10 volume or volume nine, volume one, whatever you want. And it, uh, it adjusts. So that's one seventy nine now, now, as of, I think Thursday, maybe Friday, uh, Amazon, the Amazon dot is now for sale to anyone that wants to buy them. They did a very short test sale that the only people that could buy them were people that already had um, uh, Echoes. But the Amazon Dot is only $49.99, and it is everything except a really nice speaker. It has a speaker in it for audio feedback, but not really for listening to music. You can pair it with a Bluetooth speaker or you it has a you know, it has a mini eighth out. So any of those speakers that you can't use with your iPhone seven because it doesn't have a headphone jack anymore, you can now plug in to your uh, Amazon Echo dot and and then that works. But it, it's 50 bucks and they are they've been selling them in kits too, where, you know, buy five, get one free. 
that seems a little crazy, but when you start thinking about it, wait a minute, you know, I have all these things all over my home now. I can just, wherever I am, say, uh, I won't say it, but you can, you know, do whatever you want. Have it start playing music, activate a timer, uh, you know, turn on the lights, set the temperature, whatever it is you want it to do. So this is very cool. I, I pre-ordered um, at least one of the uh, of the dots oh. and, and may order more. Well, yeah, I'll 50 f- bucks a piece. I'll have to re-examine it because I've even seen um, Amazon, you know, they, they send emails with things that they think you'd like to buy. And I think I even saw a refurbished uh, unit, you know, they oh, got yeah. some money off. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, for the full. For the full. Uh, the, for the, the Echo. The Echo, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So huh. this is interesting to me. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see where we, where it all goes. The thing that cracks me up too, is that it can even be your friend. Mm. And one of the most, uh, I mean, it was kind of pathetic, but, uh, in one of the most recent episodes of, uh, uh, Mr. Robot, one of the characters, um, she gets home. I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. Talks I, to I Alexa. I, okay. All right. I don't, I, I'm, I'm very behind on Mr. Robot. No, I'm not giving anything away. No, no I appreciate all I'm that. saying yeah. is that, you know, she gets home, does her thing and rather than going out with her friends, uh, she talks to Alexa. She, she has like, fun. Alexa, with, there you I think go. she even said like, Alexa, do you love me? <laughs> like, Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's also prominently, you know, shown in a lot of other shows too. Yeah. And, uh, she's, she's pretty happening. So the Dan, series, Dan C. In the chat may have a better sense of humor and be more entertaining, but maybe uh, Alexa sounds more useful. <laughs> Dan, Dan C in the chat room says he has a dot because he was an echo user. And so he got, he was able to get a dot and he, he, he did. Um, and he says, I use my dot for listening to audiobooks all the time. The speaker is good enough for that at least. So there you go. Um, very, very interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to diving down this path. So, and, and I, and like I said, uh, you know, I've tried the home kit thing a few times, but it's like, you got to have only the right hardware and ugh, it's like, come on guys, let's just open it up. Let's go. It's in my house. Let's go. And, and I get it. I, I, I know that already the, the, hyper security focused and there's nothing wrong with being hyper security focused. It's just, you know, there is a group of, of you that listens that are, and you're already, you've already sent the emails that where you're yelling at me about this and that's totally okay. Um, you know, all of these smart home devices that we have are really little uh, embedded Linux computers. And if someone finds a way to hack into them, they've now hacked into your home because this thing has access to your Wi-Fi network and all of that. And for, for, you know, the whole Alexa line to work, it, it needs to be on, on your Wi-Fi network. And, and that's how it goes. Um, but as we all do, we choose our place on the continuum between security and convenience. And uh, anybody that has listened to this show long enough knows that I lean a little more towards convenience than uh than security so sure yeah yeah like you need a better password for your uh no i no i don't no one else will guess that john (laughs) it is an unspecified length i will point that out but i i use a numeric password on my phone where as you are hacking it you could not know what the length of it is you'd get to type in whatever number of numbers you want and then you say go so the fact that you guessed it was only because we've known each other far far too long my friend <laughs> yes and that's actually a good strategy to uh not give an attacker a uh any any suggestion as to how big your password is yeah your I, code or your pin whatever i believe length is is more relevant or variable length is more relevant for security than um 
than the mixture of different characters. I mean, it, if, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I believe our, our esteemed colleague, Mr. Martellero actually did uh, reference an article a while ago, or I think he uh, added his own two cents to it, but um, size matters in that the longer your password, having a longer password is a better security solution than having a mix of characters and stuff like that. Right. 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 Yeah. And it actually makes it harder because, you know, what if you forget the, uh, you know, uh, uh, clever mix of characters that you <laughs> came up with? Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think one of the pieces I saw about it said that you're actually, and I believe, I thought it was like Steve Gibson or something that, uh, that, that pushed this. Uh, but it was, you know, come up with a password that is, you know, basically the same on, on any site and then use the same, you know, use like a repeating character, a variable number of times. And for hackers, that's actually harder than, uh, than a password of a shorter length that is, you know, different and random and all of that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Uh, let's go and let's talk about, actually, you know, before we, we got a bunch of tips and everything. And, uh, and so I want to talk about our, our sponsors first, Mr. Braun, if that, uh, if that works for you, I want to talk about other world computing. Is that, is that all right? My friend outstanding. Cool. Uh, so other world computing at MacSales.com. This is the first place I look anytime I need any of that stuff for my computer that would be considered an enhancement or an add on or an upgrade. Even, you know, if you need, Thunderbolt anything, and this is truly where uh, things get great. Uh, OWC is the place to start. Their Thunderbolt dock, they've got this Thunderbolt 2 dock that is killer, right? You attach this to your computer, and it works with the Thunderbolt 1 computer. If your computer doesn't have Thunderbolt 2, it's totally fine. Five USB 3 ports, one Firewire 800 port, gigabit Ethernet, HDMI output with 4K display support, uh, 3.5 millimeter audio input, uh, and of course, 3.5 millimeter audio output. Two of the USB C or USB three ports, I should say, are on the side of the device, making it easy to access it. The other three are on the back, so you can kind of leave things plugged in and have it just be neat and tidy. This dock is killer for Thunderbolt, but that's not where they stop. That's just where they start with Thunderbolt. They've got all kinds of Thunderbolt extended drives like external drives they've got this cool owc drive dock that's thunderbolt it's got two drive bays in it for two and a half or three and a half inch hard drives this is a great thing if you're doing a lot of data transfer or if you are like are a consultant and you are regularly have drives from customers that you need to do things with this is like an external hard drive case without the case. You just drop the drive, the bare metal drive into this thing. And immediately you can mount it on your Mac and it's got two drive bays. So you can copy things between two external drives. And of course it's Thunderbolt. So, uh, you know, depending on the speed of the drives, they say it'll do over 500 megabytes, megabytes per second, uh, sustained speed. Really, really great stuff. You got to check this out. So go to MacSales.com Again, it's not just Thunderbolt stuff. It's also RAM and USB hard drives, all kinds of things. They even sell keyboards there. It is the place to start when you need an upgrade. Otherworld Computing, MacSales.com, 
My thanks to the folks at Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode. Also, our thanks go to Barebones software at barebones.com. Barebones makes BB edit. They've been making this for, I believe, more than twice the length of time that we've been making Mac Geek Gab, And we've been making this show a long time, my friend. But, uh, but Barebones, they've been doing it way, way longer. And BB Edit is a fantastic piece of software. I know it sounds crazy to get excited about a text editor. And it is crazy. And we are crazy. But so are you. We're all crazy here. We're all mad here. And that's okay. BB Edit's feature set works great no matter whether you're a novice user or you're like a total expert coder. It's built to do what you need to do with text. One of the things that I absolutely love doing with it is comparing two text documents, you know, two things that are similar, but not quite the same. The interface of this, I've used text comparison tools on a bunch of different pieces of software. BB edits is awesome. It gives you a three pane view. So the two panes at the top, big wide panes that are your two documents and then at the bottom, one pane that goes the full width of those two that shows you the differences, the line numbers that have differences as you scroll through and you can scroll through either with your mouse or you can use keyboard arrow keys. You click on the line you want to see the differences in and it brings both documents to that line and shows you highlights in the line about what's different there. So it really gets very granular, shows you exactly what you want. You don't have to think about it and you can change one. You can actually tell it, copy these changes from this one to that one. And, you know, it can go either direction. It can go older to newer, newer to older, whatever it is you've got. Very, very cool stuff. I also like BB edit because it can give me a character and a word count right there while I'm typing. Or I can paste in some text that I've got somewhere else. It gives me a character and word count. This is handy, handy stuff to have. You got to check it out. Go to barebones.com, download BB edit. You can download it for free, 30 day free trial. And then when you're ready to buy, you go back to barebones.com and you buy. It's that simple. They're great folks. Their support is fantastic. If you ever do have a problem or just a question, check it out. Barebones.com. Our thanks to Barebones Software for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Now it's time to get into some tips. And since it comes out this week, I figured starting with some tips about Mac OS 10 Sierra, or sorry, uh, 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 I know, yeah. We're going to have to break that habit. We're going to have to break it. Well, I tried to I tried to break it, and I couldn't. I said, instead of just OS 10, I said Mac OS, and then added the 10 on because I couldn't help myself. But uh, yeah, Mac OS Sierra is, uh, is coming out this week. The general master, the golden master, I should say, has been out for a little while. I'm running that on my 2011 Air, and it runs fine on there. Uh, it seems to be... For me, about as fast as as El Capitan is slash was, and uh, most things work. I do recommend before you, and we'll get into the tips here in a minute. But uh, before you upgrade, launch everything that you would need to use, and make sure uh, because most software comes with their own sort of internal update engines. So if you just launch them all before you do the upgrade, they will launch, and if there is an update to that piece of software available, it will offer it to you or go to the, you know, the, the, the help menu or, or sometimes the application menu and force it to check for updates. Make sure you're on the latest version of all the apps that are important to you 
before you upgrade. And if you have a lot of things that launch at startup, like a lot of menu bar items or those sorts of things, restart your computer because that will force those to launch from beginning as well. And then they will all check for updates. There are lots of lots, lots and lots of uh, little changes in, in Mac OS here and some, and some big changes and making sure that you're running the latest version of all your apps before you do the upgrade will save you quite a bit of headaches. Things might just go very, very smoothly once the upgrades finished and you can just launch your apps and they work as opposed to saying, Oh, this app won't launch because it doesn't work with this OS. Then you got to go to the web and download the installer. Whereas if you did it before the upgrade, it would just happen sort of seamlessly. So that's, uh, that's my piece of advice before that, John, before we get to uh, Mr. X's advice, do you have any to share? Nope. Your uh, advice is uh, spot on. I've been uh, as my apps, uh, you know, phone home. Yep. Uh, they're like, yep, you better uh, get this if you want it to run on Sierra or run well. Run well. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's true. Yeah, it's it's not just it's not just that uh, it, it won't run. It sometimes just won't run well. Yeah. Furby's in the chat room says, don't forget RoaringApps.com. And Furby's is correct. Roaring Apps is a crowdsourced sort of compatibility database for all kinds of apps, uh, including macOS, but also iOS and even Windows now. So you can just go there and type in the name or names of the apps that you uh, that you use, and it'll show you what level of compatibility uh, they have. You can also just browse lists if you're if you're interested, and they they show you all kinds of great things. So very very handy, boring apps. I like it. Let's move on and start with Mister X. If I can get to my. Uh, my agenda here. Mr. X says in Mac OS Sierra, you can use the console app applications, utilities, console app to view iOS logs too, which is very handy. And uh, he says, speaking of new things, I think it's a, he uh, we'll call him a, he, cause we said it's Mr. X uh, speaking of new things. I don't remember if it was mentioned yet, but in Sierra, Disk utility will let you create RAID disks again. So you don't have to do that from the command line. Apple has restored that functionality to, um, to the actual disk utility there in Mac OS Sierra. So thanks very much. That's good, good stuff. Any Anything to say on that before we move on to uh, Tannel's tips here? Now, the first one... it. So, so I assume that means you can view the logs live, which was why we mentioned uh, Apple Configurator 2 in the, in the prior show, because the program before that wouldn't. I wonder if he means live or archived, because you're kind of ready with console. Um, look, the, look at logs that are downloaded. So I assume that means live viewing. Huh. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that I have not tried. So, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to experiment with that. Yeah, yeah, exposing the RAID, it's like, thank you. Thank you. For the people that want... You, to use Apple's software RAID solution versus something like soft RAID. That's, that's right. good news. Yeah, no, it is good. Well, especially if you ha- already have one, being able to, you know, kind of see it and, and manage it from there, that, that's, that's a good thing. So, Tannel writes, uh, my favorite feature, and this is about uh, both iOS 10 and macOS Sierra, uh, my favorite feature of the new Photos app is Memories. As you probably already know, this feature collects photos that belong together, either a certain date or a geographic location, and groups them together and creates fantastic slideshows. 
It works so well that I have now dumped tons of family photos from my Lightroom library just in order to get the slideshow videos. And of course, this is available on both iOS 10 and macOS Sierra, but not before, at least not currently. And I don't think we'll see an update to photos that does that uh, for El Capitan. So very cool. Any uh, any thoughts on that? Have you messed with that at all, John? Um, I've actually... Yeah, I've been seeing things appear on my iPhone as memories. Yeah. yeah I noticed that it's a new uh, new category. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is very cool. I will, I will point this out, and, and I wish that I had had this conversation with my wife earlier. It's always good as, uh, as a couple to make sure you communicate. And, uh, and so this was one thing that my wife and I missed out on. We got back from Europe. I was sorting through all of our pictures and I'm doing it with my son on his computer. And he's like, I'm trying to find all the photos that we took in Barcelona. He said, but I can't find some of these. Like, I know we had pictures of, of something, a dinner that we had or something. And he, he's doing this for a project for his Spanish class. And uh, so we're looking and I, you know, we kind of start scrolling through and I'm like, wait, here's all these. And I looked and some of these pictures weren't geotagged like, well, that's weird. What, what camera were they taken with? And I noticed every one of them that wasn't geotagged was taken with an iPhone 6S Plus, which is the camera that my wife uses. And so I asked her about it. I was like, hey, Lise, what's, you know, what's up? What, do you know about this? She says, oh, yeah. When uh, the cameras app first launched years ago, uh, you know, it asked me if I wanted it to let it, you know, know about my location. She's like, so sounded like a bad security thing. So I turned it off. Like, oh, no. This is awful. So we've since turned it on, but uh, going back to all those pictures, I guess the, I, I, I could go back to those pictures and add, you know, at least generic geotags by city or something. But, um, but yeah, what a drag to have. And she took a ton of great pictures, um, but, you know, typically she had the better camera of the three of us. So, you know, the thing is, I still, I actually have it off and you may be asking yourself, where is that? And it's in privacy or on the phone, privacy location services camera. And I actually have yeah. it off. The reason I have it off is because I take a lot of pictures of my home. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want the geo location of my home necessarily advertised as, and, and other people have this concern as well is that, you know, if they're at a location, you know, with their kids and stuff like that, um, it, it's a privacy thing. But I, I tend to leave it off on camera. Of course, you can. Well, where? Wait a minute. Where are you posting these pictures that you would be sharing it with the geotag intact? That's the question I have, because anything like if you're posting to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, it's stripping that data as you post it. And the only tag you're getting is the one that you choose to give it in that social engine. So that I, I, I get your concern. But how are you sharing your photos in a way that... Well, say you do it with Flickr. Okay. Does Flickr, Flickr, Flickr keeps would, the geotag? Yeah. Yeah, it keeps the location data. Yeah, so. it does. But are you sharing your photos publicly with Flickr? Or are you just... Some. Are you just storing them locally? Okay, because I think when you share them publicly with Flickr, you can tell it not to expose yes. the geodata. Yes. Yeah. See, I think I. I mean, I get it. I think, but I again, you know, as I as I said before, there's this this continuum, right, between security and convenience, and um, and this is one of those things where you are trading a potentially massive amount of convenience, um, and 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 just you know delight 
uh, with these, you know, these memories. Oh, no. I get it. Yeah. And, yeah, um, no, it, yeah. It's a good yeah, discussion people, to have. Yeah. But people may want to go through their location service uh, uh, section of their iOS device and just review the policy for each app. For some, as you point out, it, it makes sense. For some, you may rather not have that data known. That's right. Or embedded um, in something you communicate. You know, same with Twitter. There's an option with Twitter where you can have your location tweeted. Some people may not want that. Right. Right. And and I, the, while you're going through that, if you see any apps where your location is set to always, check the settings. Because a lot of times an app will ask you, like, you know, like we said with camera, hey, uh, you know, can I use your location? And you might choose to say, sure, yes. And it chooses, it then sets itself to always being able to use your location. But there is often, not always, but there is often a third option that is only while using the app. So you've got never and always, and then you've got while using the app. And sometimes with a lot of these apps, you can change that from always to while using the app. And that can be handy both from a privacy and from a battery usage standpoint, in a sense. I mean, a lot of this stuff, especially with location, is all sort of coalesced together. So you're not one app that's using it. Uh, if you've got any apps that are using your location always, then it probably doesn't matter. But uh, but it is worth checking it out just to keep keep things kind of under wraps. So fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm not sure what causes this, but every now and then I'll get a dialogue saying, um, yeah, you know, this app is uh, kind of monitoring your location in the background. Are you okay with that? Right. Right. Yeah. If it's a new app. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. So I highly recommend turning on location for your pictures, though. John's advice and concerns notwithstanding, you need to do it knowing that you are embedding location in all your pictures. And, and then as you share them, you need to be aware of that. But, uh, but you know, can be a good thing. We have a bunch of uh, tips from previous shows. And so we're going to try and burn through all of these because they are good tips. And we're going to start with listener, Jim. We're going to go rewind all the way back, way, way back. low those many moons ago to show six fourteen. Hi, Dave and John. I'm just catching up, uh, listening to some of the older shows, and I was listening to 614, and in the section on your Europe trip, you used a term a little loosely that I think you may want to consider. You mentioned that your power supplies or your uh, power adapters were switching in reference to selecting the appropriate uh amperage and, and voltage for your European travel. The term switching in reference to power adapters is actually a specification of uh, a different technique to convert AC to DC instead of linear power supplies. I think the term that you wanted to use was auto range or auto select. Anyway, keep up the great work, guys. Just an FYI. Thanks, Jim. I love that we can all be geeks together about this stuff. So thank you for that. That's 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 super helpful. I, I like being able to be correct about these things. So thanks, man. Uh, uh, moving on to, unless you have something about that, John, but uh, then we'll move on to Mike. Moving on. Okay. Uh, it says, Dave and John, you mentioned in Mac Geek Up 621 about the legalities of scanning paper money. 
This is a fascinating topic, and you should look up on Wikipedia about the Urion constellation. It says it is a pattern of five rings embedded into the notes. Scanning software or image processing software can detect this pattern and will not allow manipulation of the image. The pattern can also be detected by color photocopiers, which will not copy the note. And it's a really interesting thing, and and you can see where it's uh, it, it's it's worth checking out this uh, <laughs> this 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 article on Wikipedia because it kind of shows you some examples. It's it's just a weird pattern of five circles, and the pattern can exist in many different ways. The zeros on the twenty dollar bill form this pattern in uh, in in a strange little way. Um, it just as one example. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is where it's fun to be geeks together. Have you, did you check this out, John? Oh yeah. No, I've known about that. That's how, uh, that's how scanners and copiers know that you're trying to copy money. Yeah. Um, for currency. Uh, and this is something that both you and I have explored, but, uh, some other things on currency that make it very hard to duplicate. One is microprint. If you look really, really close and you get a magnifying glass or a high enough DPI scanner, you're going to see things like the, denomin- the name of the denomination in tiny, tiny little letters and United States of America and stuff like that. Another, and you've got one of these, I think, based on my advice, Dave, is a UV flashlight. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think around 390 nanometers. Um, uh, most currency, uh, U.S. currency and some other documents uh, will have uh, features that are only seen with a UV light. It's like in in the currency, the thread is actually uh, will will reflect uh, a different color based on the denomination, and also try your credit cards. Mm. Most credit cards have UV on them as well. Um, I use also, my UV uh, light to find out what sections of the carpet I need to clean <laughs> for uh, when there's when there's been pet uh, incidents. I don't call them accidents because I don't mm-hmm. know for sure the uh, the pet's intentions. So they're incidents until proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, all right. So two more things from six twenty one, and I'll I'll read both of these together, John, and then and then I'll pass it to you because it, I I think you have an interesting anecdote to share. So we'll, first we'll start with Bill, and Bill says uh, in six twenty one you were talking about scanning your driver's license, and he said, but might I suggest that it might be a good precaution to keep a scan of your driver's license, not in photos, but in a secure program like one password with that. You can only add it from the desktop, not from phone or tablet, but it will sync to any device. One way this is useful. Doctors offices now seem to demand photo IDs. I once showed up with only my insurance card, but since I had my iPhone, I could send them the scan. Unfortunately, not securely. I'm afraid for what it's worth. A friend of mine once was once stopped when he left his wallet at home. He was not ticketed, but had to show his license at the police station the next day. Your mileage may vary. So thank you very much for that bill. That's um, that that's good stuff. Um, and then, and I've done that now. So I've deleted everything from photos and I am now, uh, I only have my licenses and our family passports securely in my one password library. So good stuff. Wesson, um, has more to say on this subject says, uh, Oh yeah, I have a, I have my driver's license info and one password, including a scan of the card itself. So same advice. I, for some reason I thought we had multiple different pieces of advice, but we don't. So anyway, thank you for that. Both bill and Wesson and John. So, uh, after this discussion sort of passed back and forth, you have a story to tell. Yes. 
believe it or not, and I think this is where it's nice to have competing products, Dave. So as, uh, as some people may know, but if you don't, I'm a LastPass fan. Well, LastPass also has secure notes. And here's the, here's the, here's the cool thing. So if you go into the secure notes section, and then you say secure notes, um, or actually add secure note, it will give you predefined types of notes. They have generic bank account, credit card, database, driver's license, email account, health insurance, instant messenger, insurance, member. So basically. They have that uh, in, in one password has that too. You can pick the, the type of note that you're okay. going to have. Yeah. All right. Um, my understanding though, is that one password, uh, somebody relayed this to me. It, I'm not sure if it's correct or not, no, but just, you can't take the picture on an iDevice. You it, have to Bill, do Bill just said it. Oh, I see. 30 Sorry. seconds ago. Yeah. Okay, I was fiddling with something else because yes, I was preparing, course. and all of a sudden it wasn't working the way I expected for a future mm-hmm. question. So my apology. No problem. But but so LastPass but, um, will let you take those photos with the iPhone. You can you can put the stuff right mm-hmm. into your LastPass library from from your phone. Is yep, that right? That's what yeah, I did. Awesome. And when I was doing my phone upgrade, uh, I guess to verify that I was who I said I was when I said I wanted to get a new phone, they're like, "Yeah, can I see your driver's license?" And I'm like, "Check this out." And I showed it to her. She's like, "Okay, that's you." <laughs> that's awesome. So she didn't demand my um, physical driver's license. Yeah. Because the, uh, now I suppose I could have forged the image. You know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder, you know, I mean, I, I think back to that time and I have, it's been a long time since I told this story, but uh, at one point I had to scan my, you know, every now and then you, you need to do a scan of your driver's license for something. And who knows, you know, what this was at the time, but I had to do it. And then like a day or two later, I had a flight to, uh, I think, I don't forget where I was going. I think it was to one of the podcast expos, to be perfectly honest, like out in Ontario. And uh, I got to the airport, opened up my wallet to check in, no driver's license. And instantly I knew where it was, right? It was on my colored scanner here in the office. And I was like, oh (laughs) no, this is not good. And I looked at the woman and I'm like, I don't have it. And she's like, okay. And I said, I have a credit card with my picture on it. She's like, all right, that, you know, we're getting somewhere. She said, you don't have a passport or anything with you. I said, no. And so, um, went through, and this was post nine 11 too. This was, you know, and she's like, okay, here's how it's going to work. Um, because you don't have ID, you're going to be subject to every level of security screening we possibly have between now and your gate. And, uh, I said, oh, yeah, okay. I said, well, that's going to be faster than trying to get back home, you know, an hour away and get my driver's license. I I said, I'll miss my flight. She's like, yeah, all right, well, go, you know, get yourself in the security line. It's not going to be fun. And she was right, but it was fine. They were all quite pleasant about it and friendly. And they just went through my stuff and patted me down. I think this was pre-TSA, maybe, I forget, but, uh, but I made it through. But I wonder if having a scan of my driver's license on my phone would have helped. I mean, it, it's not the same as having the actual ID, but maybe it would have helped. So it's never a bad thing to have that, at least in a way that's secure as, uh, as you pointed out and as, as Bill and Wesson pointed out too. So <laughs> yeah, good stuff. I still can't believe I got on a plane without a photo ID. That was, that's still astounding to, to me, but whatever works. Yeah, you, you look trustworthy. Well, that was, you know, that's part of it at that point, right? They're, you know, sussing out how you're acting and, and what you, what you're trying to bring with you, of course. But uh, yeah, it's all, it's a package deal, right? Uh, rewinding back 
to show number 619, where our poor listener went through having his computer hacked via remote access. Leon says, I'm on my usual multi-episode binge. Just finished listening to 619 about somebody hacking into their Mac. A few tips. Number one, turn on two-factor authentication at Amazon. Yes, they finally support it. While you're at it, turn on two-factor authentication everywhere you can. Check out the two-factor auth list at twofactorauth.org. That's that's spelled out. There's no numbers in that. It's twofactorauth.org. Um, you can find out about a ton of sites that support two-factor authentication. Turn on notifications at Amazon. You can get email or text notifications of purchases and shipping status. Turn on notifications with your bank and credit card companies. Uh, most now offer text and email alerts based on type and size of transaction. Many financial institutions have iOS apps that give instant notification of charges and even let you disable the card instantly. Fun side note, I split a check with friends recently, but put the whole tip on my card to cover the higher cost of my dinner. Capital One notified me that the tip looked too large and gave me a chance to review. For the excessively geeky, is that redundant? Check out my blog post uh, about how I set up monitoring of my home network on the cheap. And we will put that link in the show notes too, Leon. Thank you. Uh, I use this to detect activity on my router, uh, Synology, and on my Macs. The caveat, it's running on my Mac Mini with Yosemite. I'm not sure if this will st still work with, with El Capitan due to system integrity protection. And one more geeky tip. Authy, A-U-T-H-Y, provides an API that lets you add two-factor authentication to your own app or website. You can get a free developer account to get access to it and then use it on your Mac. And we'll put a, a link there. And uh, this is great, great stuff. Thank you so much, Leon, for uh, for sending all of this in. Any thoughts on this, John? No, it's all good stuff. I, uh, I use some of those, not all of those. Um, right. Especially the financial notifications, especially with Apple Pay. I really... It, it's really cool to see, um, you know, them come in. I get a notification when my balance goes below, so below a certain level or Amex and my Amex and Chase cards will give me notifications that charges have applied. Uh, some, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's just weird. It's kind of inconsistent. Some of the credit cards don't give you notifications when interesting things happen or they offer different ways like an SMS or email. Mm. Yeah, no, this is handy stuff. I, um. I appreciate this. Do you, how, how many places do you use two factor auth, John? Uh, none. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. That's shocking to me. Like you're not your Apple ID. Wow. No, I had a bad experience once with a early two factor authentication. Uh, wow. Experience. Huh? So, um, yeah, that's just me. He's again, we I'll all choose, it. we all choose. Well, I mean, you know, we all choose our places on that, on that continuum. And, and it's interesting where, you know, where convenience wins out over security. And obviously, you, you know, I mean, when it came to photos, man, you and I were, you know, not quite polar opposites, but certainly, yeah, you know, and, and here on two factor auth, it's, it's, we're again, not quite polar opposites, but yeah. Yeah, man, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I get notifications about things that are important to me, like somebody draining my credit card or bank account. So, sure. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Hey, you want to uh, share Rick's photos tip and, uh, and maybe help enlighten me, John? I will enlighten you, Dave. Sweet. So what I'd like you to do is to um, start up photos. Okay. 
Is that smart, smart to do well in podcasting? The answer, like, of course it is. Of course it is. Well, I'm going to show you. And the thing is, initially, I verified his tip here. Um, so to go back a bit, um, we had a question regarding, uh, and let me know when you're, you're ready. Um, okay. So uh, the tip was basically, how do I... No, what was the question? Fin- finish what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, the question we're going to address here is, uh, you know, is there a way other than backing up my entire photos library to archive or, you know, store my photos? And the answer is, well, yeah. Well, it was it was more specifically, how can I archive or store my photos and keep each album in a folder? Yes. Right. That was the discussion we had. And and the answer was, there's no way to export your photos in uh, albums of folders. Oh, au contraire, mon frere. I think I got that right. I think you did. It's close enough. Yeah. There is, uh, I attribute it to um, a poor UI choice. Okay. So walk me through this, because if I choose an album and I export photos from it, I do not get folders for each, or I, if I choose a well, what you what albums, you yeah. want to do, you want it to select multiple albums. Correct. Otherwise, it's painful. Yes. Okay. And the way instinctually one would want to select multiple albums is you click on one, hold down shift, which works in a lot of apps. Yep. And then click on another one. Well, the way photos works, if you click on an album in the sidebar, is that it won't let you do a a multiple select. That's correct. Isn't that terrible? It is. Now, uh, I'd like you to click on all photos. Okay. Done. Okay. Do you see a little uh, left pointing arrow at the top of the UI? I do. It's it's still pulling. Okay, now my photos are up. So yes, at the very top, kind of just to the right of the red, yellow, green things. So I Correct. can hit that. Click on that. Oh, okay. And what Dave is seeing now is a list of my albums. Well, my albums, but you know, but it is um, named. Yes, it is named. Named my albums. my albums. That's right. Yeah. I'd like you to now try to select more than one. I did. Okay, so now that I've got... Well, wait, wait. So now that I've got two selected, I can go to File, Export Photo, or Export, Export Photos. Correct. And for the subfolder format, I have... So I have PhotoKind, JPEG, that's fine. Uh, For file name, I can use the title or sequential, or you can just use the file name, so that's fine. And for subfolder format, I have None and Moment Name. Well, your only option is, uh, I think, moment name. Okay, so I will choose moment name, and I will say export. And uh, I will put this into a test. Oh, no, no, the test folder. The folder on my desktop named test is actually where all the podcast recordings go. And that's because 11 years, 11 and a half years ago, I was doing some tests about how to record podcasts and put things there. So um, photos export test is what we will name this folder. Export test. Okay. No. Oh, yeah, there we are. Okay. And I will say export. And thankfully, there's only like, you know, six photos or something. So it says six of six files has been have been exported, which is the right number. And now I open up photos export test. Okay. So I got photos named after dates. I got folders named after dates, not named after the album. So there were two albums that I was exporting from. One's called Snapchat and one's called Bitcam. And when I exported my photos, I got folders named after as the export function um, offered. 
memories or moments, I should say. Yeah, you'll have to massage. I think you'll have to massage the the data within photos a bit more to get exactly what you want. The 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 thing that was brought to our attention is that there is a way to select multiple albums. When you tried it live, the well, yeah, okay. export seemed to be not terribly useful. Is that you could only uh, using the sidebar. You could only select one album, and you don't want to be select album, export, select album, export. No, this what I was you- looking for was to export albums as folders, and and that's what I can't, I still can't do. But but this is you're right. This is a good tip for for um, selecting multiple albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, are you saying that the folders do not contain the contents of the albums you selected? I, my, what I'm saying is the folders that are created have nothing to do with the names of my albums or even the oh. contents of my albums. They are organized only by moment name. So I have two folders. One's called Snapchat and one's called okay. BitCam. Okay. And then I exported the contents of those. And as you said, the only, um, the only option for subfolder names is moment name. So I did that and I got three folders. One's July 16th. One's named July 10th, June 10th. And the other is named Naples, Florida, February 26th. So these six pictures are part of three different moments, but are part of my organization, two separate albums. The albums, the album organization was not exported. And that's what I was hoping to get. Because that's where that's where this discussion came from. Power photos let me for my dad import a bunch of folders and preserve the names and contents of those folders as album names as he as it pulled them into photos. Okay. My my intent from from that was how would I do that in the reverse? And and there's still no right. way other than one at a time with your your albums exporting all the contents okay. of that just one album. All right, yeah. I'm. Uh, uh, my experience was different in that each of the folders contained the contents of the album. Are your albums named I'm, I'm moments? Not, my albums have names. Right. What I'm saying is that the folder content, when I did the export, what was in the folder was what was in the album. The same number of pictures appear. Yeah, no, that's correct. I'm getting the same pictures from the albums, okay. but they're not being saved in folders named after the albums. They're being reorganized into folders named after moments. Right. And that I still have to figure out how to do. Our, our, our friend seems to be, well, he, in the screen snapshot, he showed us that seemed to happen and we'll have to figure out why. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's got any, any info on this, it'd be great because it would be nice to be able to just export all albums as folders. I get why that might not happen though, because you can have the same picture in multiple, um, you know, albums there in, uh, in, in photos. So you'd, you'd wind up with duplicates potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to me, I, I think you'll agree that this, this deserves a UI fish shake to Apple. Yeah. That's a little weird. I should be able if you're to here, just select You can select multiple items. Yeah. But if you're in this other place that has the same data, then you can't. Yeah. No, I, I, like, I'm totally with you. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a pain in the neck. Yeah, why why should I have to be able to do this this way? I'm with you. Yeah. All right, cool. Moving on to a different Rick. Um and hopefully we can get through these these and then the backup ones too. So, uh moving on to a different Rick, which I will find here. He says on the latest podcast you mentioned using screens, and so I decided to look at it. 
I've been using Apple's screen sharing to have Windows view into my Macs. I was wondering what the Screens app does better than Apple screen sharing. Do you need screens uh, for Adobe's Screen Connect to work? There are occasions where I would like to control a Mac remotely. So, yeah, good question. Um, I use screens mainly on iOS so that I can control my Macs from my iPhone because there is no other. Well, there's other ways, but there is no native Apple way of using screen sharing as a client from iOS. So that's what I use screens for, uh, for the most part screens on the Mac is actually something I don't use much because from the Mac, I can just go, you know, direct, um, screen sharing tends to work just fine there, but you're right. Adobe is screen connect, which allows for sort of the firewall poking and remote control from, from outside your network is uh is a feature of of the the mac version of screens and yes you would need that to uh to do that but yeah screens is awesome just really really smooth to use and uh i'm very very happy with it so yeah thanks uh thanks rick for asking and then john a different john from show 622 he says uh at the end of the show you mentioned how you lost john braun uh, because the power flickered and the switch in your attic uh, without a UPS or a battery backup lost power that, and you didn't want a UPS in your attic because of the combining heat in the summer and batteries might turn into leaky battery through the ceiling into your bedroom, which is correct. I don't want leaky battery into the ceiling of my bedroom. Um, he says, I solved this issue issue and reduced my number of needed UPSs when I redid all the Ethernet in my house with a simple solution. P-O-E. Also, power over Ethernet. Netgear makes a great little eight-port eight port switch that will pass QoS and other semi-managed work that powers over Ethernet. There is even one model that passes P-O-E through to downstream ports as well. That way, you can have a good P-O-E switch at the main hub or just a cheap P-O-E injector if you don't want to replace your switch that can be on a UPS and then any remote switches can just draw their power from that main switch on its one UPS. Less items to go bad, less batteries to charge, and less environmental impact. Most importantly, one less power brick that you have to figure out what it was for when it gets stuffed in a drawer. This is a great idea, and I'm definitely going to look into this uh, because that would solve this problem. It would be really nice to have. Um, not only would it be nice to, to not have a power flicker, you know, temporarily interrupt the network, but power flickers, especially when it's, you know, as quickly as, as we experience where it's just off and then on, or even not quite off a brownout where it, it goes down and then back up, that's really bad for electronic uh, components. And so by passing power over ethernet where that power is conditioned uh, and, and maintained even through a brownout, would be awesome. So I like this idea. This is good. Less things to blow up too. What do you think about that, John? The less things blown up, the better. I agree. All right. And one last thing from, uh, from show 622 listener, Dave reacted when we uh, discussed the various DAX digital to analog converters. He says in uh, 621, Dave talked about how the audio engine D1 opened up the sound, especially compared to a Mac or iOS headphone jack experience. He said, I found the same, albeit with a different device. And I wanted to tell you about it. I was looking for a good headphone amp to use with my phone and my laptop. I had considered audio engines D1, but it was a little thick to slip into my minimalist computer bag. 
Instead, I got an OPPO HA2. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's O-P-P-O. And then the model is HA-2. I've used other headphone amps, uh, but didn't notice any improvement in sound quality. All they seem to do is amplify. The Oppo HA2 produces a much better sound, amazingly so. The experience Dave described with the D1 echoes my experience with the Oppo. The HA2 isn't for all use cases. For, exist- for instance, it has no RCA output, but it's perfectly designed for taking on the road with you. It's designed to be portable, and the battery can be used uh, to charge your phone. Wow, that's pretty cool. It will work with USB lightning and mini USB connectors, connectors, i.e. with all the smart mobile devices and computers on battery. It should last about 10 hours with output at a reasonable level. This is very, very cool. He says it's pricey at $299. He said, he said, or a refurb at $239, but worth it if you want portable, high quality output. So thanks so much, Dave. That's, um, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to, um, I'm glad I'm not the only one experiencing this. And, uh, of course the guys at audio engine, when I, when I first tested the D one, I was like, Whoa, this is amazing. They're like, yeah, well, that's what you get when you have a high quality output. It actually makes a difference that even, you know, I mean, they said even drummers could hear because they, you know, they give me a hard time about that, but, uh, but you know, it's true. <laughs> so good stuff. Thank you. Listener Dave. All right, John, I feel like, how are we doing on time here? We have time to, yeah, we can talk through some of these backup things. I think we got a bunch of feedback from our backup show. So let's, uh, let's plow through these, shall we, my friend? Is it good? Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. Still and I have one thing to add that I didn't mention okay. about my backup regime. Okay. Uh, I'll insert that when appropriate. All right. Sweet. Uh, listener David says, uh, "Just thought I just listened to the backup deep dive episode, which was number six twenty. For those of you uh, following along at home, nice work. Uh, you guys covered a lot of ground. I thought I'd add some color to the conversation. I used to work for one of the big storage vendors, and as such, spent a fair bit of energy talking about how to protect our customers' data. There's some simple classifications definitions that were getting all mixed during the discussion that I would like to clear up, namely the distinction between backup, disaster recovery, and archive." Back, so thanks, Dave. Uh, David. Um, backup is uh, a backup is a mechanism to create multiple versions of your data and is principally used to recover from "oops, you shouldn't have deleted that" or "what does this command do?" user type errors uh, or events like a malware slash crypto locker infection. You want to have multiple versions because it may take a while before you discover the corruption. So you want to be able to go back and retrieve individual files or entire volumes from yesterday, last week, last month. The number of those recovery points and how far back they go is entirely a function of your budget. More recovery points equals more disk space used equals dollars. Another common attribute of backups is that they're relatively fast to recover from. When recovering from the oops, I shouldn't have deleted that. You don't want to be waiting hours to recover your large files from the cloud. Same location is fine. Disaster recovery is used to protect against something physically happening to whatever devices are storing your data. Prime examples are fire, burst water main, etc. To protect yourself against these, you only need one copy of your data and be physically outside the area likely to be affected by those disasters. Sync tools such as BitTorrent Sync or RSync are good examples of tools to be used for disaster recovery. I know you guys mentioned it, but it's super important to test your disaster recovery copy. If the worst happens, that's all you've got. And lastly, archives. Uh, John touched on this use case at the start during the discussion of which files may be readable in 50 years. This is typically used for things such as contracts, books, house deeds, things you may need in the future. OS images would not be archived unless you feel 
you'll get nostalgic about what your desktop looked like 15 years ago and by chance have some hardware that would run it. Archives would normally hold single versions of files. I don't bother with archive. Now you can, and many people do combine these into a single solution, e.g. arc backups to the remote site, but that's a trade-off between the savings of combined solution and the time to recover from the oops. I shouldn't have deleted that, which is by far the most reason, the most common reason to recover anything. Cool stuff, Dave. Thank you very much for that. Great, uh, great clarification and just great discussion to kind of kick this back into gear with So good stuff. Thoughts on that, my friend, before I uh, just read along from uh, from what everybody else has? Nope, that's good color. Initially, I thought our friend was a uh, stock analyst. Ah, yes, that's right. Yeah. Just always think that's hilarious. Like, you know, could you, uh, um, Tim, could you add some color to what you said? And it's like, no, don't use that word. <laughs> uh, let's see where we are. Uh, with this next one, do we go to Jeff? Oh, we might as well go to Jeff. So Jeff, uh, says two thoughts here. Um, it says, I keep all my data in a single partition on a USB three external drive. The system disc on my main Mac mini contains just the OS and apps and a few temporary files I happen to be working on. I like this clean separation of my data and it makes upgrades and migrations easier, but also backups too. I have a daily, weekly and a monthly backup regime set up as follows. My daily backup is that my personal solution is to use Chronosync to sync my main data drive to a second USB drive every night. I have keyboard maestro macro set up to mount my backup drive every night at midnight, just before my scheduled chronosync happens. And then another one at 6am before I get up like you, I have an email sent from chronosync with success and fail attempts uh, weekly. I have another external USB drive set up where chronosync does a weekly backup. And then monthly I do a manual chronosync sync and a super duper clone of my data and my system disk to yet another external drive. This drive lives in a Ziploc bag in a small fire safe along with our passports, insurance policies, and other important documents. In an emergency, we would just grab this safe and head for the hills. And of course I use ARC ARQ as my offsite backup. More and more of you are using uh, ARC. He says he's using his an unlimited Amazon cloud drive subscription 60 bucks a year. So this, this is where arc really starts to pay off. I know I mentioned arc in the uh, backups episode, but for 60 bucks a year, unlimited Amazon cloud storage, and then arc will back up anything you want there. There's no limitations. Uh, very, very cool piece of software. So, wow, 60 bucks a year. That's not a bad deal. Huh? I got to think about this. All right, cool. Um, Thank you for that. And then he says uh, his second thought is he uses one password to store all his passwords and encrypted notes, which he then syncs via Dropbox. I was feeling pretty comfortable that if all else failed and I lost all my local backups and I had to start over with a new system, I could recover my data from my Arc Amazon cloud drive and my encrypted one password data from Dropbox. I then realized my passwords to sign into Dropbox and Amazon cloud and my Arc encryption key were also stored in one password. So I had a catch 22 situation. I needed my one password data, which was in Dropbox, but I couldn't sign into Dropbox without the one password data. So I think it's worth making sure you maintain a copy of the information necessary to sign into the accounts you need so you can do your restores. And that's very, very wise advice. So thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, moving along, John. Moving right along. Okay. Uh, so we will let Greg take us through a little tour here. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm a uh, high school technical teacher in um, North Carolina near Raleigh. And I just listened to the deep dive on backup, and uh, it was a great show. 
Um, this tip for for backup related stuff doesn't really involve a Mac. In fact, it kind of can't involve a Mac. There's a program called SpinWrite by Steve Gibson. It's available at his company, Gibson Research Company, which is grc.com. And uh, you can download that. It has to run on a PC. You make a bootable CD. It used to fit on a bootable disc, but nobody has discs anymore. And, of course, you can boot from a thumb drive as well. And it will recover data off of your hard drive if any piece of software will. If this program will not recover data from a malfunctioning or damaged hard drive, no other piece of software will. You will have to send it somewhere to be opened in a clean room. It's a great program. You guys have a great podcast. You do, as I said, have to have a uh, a PC that you can uh, get the drive into out of your Mac, but it does wonders. I've even heard of people fixing drives from TiVos and from old hard drive-based uh, iPods and all sorts of things like that. It's an amazing program, and I thought you guys, uh, if you hadn't already heard about it, might enjoy hearing about it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the great podcast. Talk to you later. Yeah, I've I've heard things, and I believe in in a previous life used Spinrite um, for a couple of things on the Windows side. It it does need to run on Windows. Steve Gibson and the GRC folks have threatened that they have a Mac version in development, but uh, but as far as I know, no one's seen it yet. But uh, maybe it will come. In the meantime, there's you know the tools we mentioned from ProSoft uh, as well to be able to do this directly in from inside macOS. But yeah, Spinrite is one of those that people that have used it swear by it. So it's good to good to have as part of the discussion. Ken, Ken, protecting your clone is Ken's uh, question here. A topic. He said, "I'll try to keep this short." You've mentioned using Carbon Copy Cloner to make a clone. For the internal drive as a backup every day in the wee hours. I run my Mac all day, and I also use that to make a clone every day in the wee hours, and I also restart my iMac in the morning just to check that clone. Should I make a clone every day, but with the clone going to two alternating USB drives connecting to my Mac, just in case some software was harmed on my Mac after the last clone was made? So the next clone will not be damaged, and I can alternate back and forth. This is one of those questions, um, it's not a bad thing to do, the the question is how what what's your tolerance for risk what's your uh what's important to you for me you know um i've thought about this and and accepted sort of that that potential risk i figure if i'm using my computer all day i'll know there's a problem before that day's clone now takes over and then i can re- revert before the next one happens but there's nothing inherently wrong you know, especially with storage being as cheap as it is to have two clones and just alternate, you know, do one on Monday, Monday, Wednesday, one. Mm-hmm. Let me try that again. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and then the other on, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday kind of thing. Although then you'd have the Sunday, Monday issue. So maybe you need to maybe you just do it on on alternate days and, and don't get don't get crazy because weeks are weird with seven days. I don't know. Thoughts on that, John? Hmm. I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not spread, a bad idea. Spread, spread things around. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Spread them around. It's no problem. Well, time machine can do it too. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I got a call from uh, a listener actually on the way home from your house on Friday morning, who, as we all do, was helping, uh, you know, one of his friends with, with uh, his friend's tech support needs. And his friend got ransomware, uh, which means his, it, for him, it was a windows machine, but Mac users are not immune to ransomware. 
uh, he had installed something on his computer that uh, was from some nefarious folks. And this encrypted all of his important data with a key that was uncrackable. And then he got a notification. If you want your data back, send 600 bucks worth of bitcoins to this Bitcoin address and we will give you the decryption key. He didn't have any backups or at least didn't have any backups that weren't affected by it. And I've heard of ransomware on the Mac, not just encrypting your user data, but also encrypting or deleting from your time machine backups. So uh, uh, he actually he had decided to. uh, And the reason this guy was calling me was to ask about how to get bitcoins because he uh, he had decided to pay off the uh, ransomware folks and he did and, and got the key and decrypted the data. And I believe all is relatively well, but it's awful that he had to support this uh, this practice just to get his data back. So offsite disconnected backups. Very, very important um, for protecting against that stuff. Awful. I hated hearing that story. And we'll see, we were able to help him get some bitcoins because we we actually get some through affiliate deals at, at TMO. So. We were, we were able to at least solve that part for him. So bad stuff. All right. One last one from Kurt. Uh, Kurt says, thanks for the deep dive on backups. I don't think you mentioned Q recall Q R E C A L L a software application written by James Buchanan. Uh, in some ways it is like time machine. It creates a backup in a proprietary format. Uh, that is structured in time layers so that you can go back in time to pull a file from an earlier layer. I've been using it for more than a year and it has just impressed the heck out of me with its attention to detail and execution. Since switching over to Q recall as part of my backup strategy, I've felt comfortable dumping time machine, no more corrupted time machine backups. And James is very responsive and patient answering questions in the forum on his website. The latest release adds the ability to switch on data redundancy, which allows it, the archive to heal itself in the event of some form of bit rot. Very cool. Speaking of data integrity, I'd like to mention that the ZFS file system is very usable on the Mac nowadays. I switched over to ZFS on my home directory earlier this summer and have been pleasantly surprised to find that it is a very mature and seemingly bug-free file system that comes with a host of really cool features. Incredible data integrity, uh, self-healing and expandability, snapshots, snapshots, easy for me to say, uh, flexibility in how disks are accessed, etc., Just about every feature that might someday appear in APFS is in ZFS today. Running ZFS requires that you separate your boot volume from user data. I also have to log into an admin account first after boot to start up ZFS. But other than those small inconveniences, it does not impact my OS X experience under El Capitan. It's not fully tested under Mac OS Sierra yet. Yet there is a website, openzfsonosx.org. And of course, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So thanks so much, Kurt. That's uh, that's interesting stuff. I, you know, um, I'm not sure that I would run zfs on on my it sounds like a lot of trouble uh to get it running but you know hey there you go and also remember that zfs running zfs would probably make time machine function either differently or not at all but uh but that doesn't matter if you're using q recall so all right john uh you said you had one thing any thoughts on all of this stuff before we uh before we um, wrap up two things actually I, right. I hadn't mentioned this but um one thing you may want to consider when doing backups. Yep. So I didn't used to do this, but now I do. And what is it you do, John? And I 
sometimes wonder myself, but this time I'm going to tell you explicitly. So when I do a carbon copy cloner backup to a drive, it's an encrypted drive. Okay. Yeah. You got to remember sure. a backup. So especially say somebody breaks into my, uh, breaks in your house and you got a file vault running on your computer and all that, but you happen to back up to an external drive that's just sitting around. Well, Hey, there you go. They win. They win. So right. encrypt your backups. And you can also do the same thing with time machine. Sure. Um, so that's right. just thought I'd mention that is that uh, unless you have a good reason not to encrypt your drives and your backups when at all possible, because the default is typically no. Right, 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 right. Of course. Yeah. Um, of course, the risk there is that if you forget your password, you're, uh, uh, you're sunk. But yeah. the good news is that if someone tries to access your backup and they don't have the password, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. Right. Um, the other thing that I make part of my backup regime, and uh, you may work, uh, people may want to consider this as having a backup in a different place, is I actually have um, a Lexar flash drive. It's a 128 gig. Okay. And what I do is I use that. So a lot of these flash drives come with this. So, so they, uh, the, the one that I have came with some software that, that is rather dated right now, though I'm sure they have a replacement, but it's called Lexar Echo because the drive is called the Lexar Echo sure. Backup Manager. And basically what it does is like, hey, what, what folders on this machine? And it'll actually, it's smart enough to say, oh, I'm plugged into your MacBook Pro. I'm going to back up the documents folder from that to the drive. And if I plug it to my Mac Mini, it's like, oh, I'm going to make one for your Mini. So it, it doesn't get confused, even though it's the, the folders called documents on both machines. And I do that every now and then, just, uh, just to have the security of having the data backed up somewhere else. Just and they because. also offer uh, and they also offer an option that you can encrypt the contents of the flash drive as well. Right, right, right. So something to consider. They're uh, they're handy to have around. Um, yeah, that's not a bad idea, man. I like that. It's uh, good stuff. And I actually carry it. I actually do have a uh, a different brand, uh, a USB three uh, flash drive, actually on my keychain. Okay, so I'm out and about and need to. Uh, Need to accept or share some data? I actually got a text file on it saying, uh, "Yeah, hi, this belongs to me." Ah. Me call. <laughs> what if you lose? Have you ever found a flash drive that someone lost? And it's like, who does it belong to? Same thing. A um, uh, uh, little tip here too. Not too much. Yeah, it's a, it's a useful tip. Um, say you got a digital camera and say you misplace it. Take a picture with your address and phone number and put it on the camera. <laughs> oh, that's not a bad idea. So some or tape a business card or something, but um, but having a picture on your camera or other uh, image capture device, um, yeah, may help you recover it if if someone finds it who's honest. <laughs> I like it, man. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Yeah. Cool stuff. Hey, oh my gosh, John, I almost forgot about like the most important thing to mention during this episode. Oh. Um, there is a majorly important software update that came out for all Apple users, okay? Um, it's ProDOS 8 version 2.4. It was released yes, uh, Friday, I guess, uh, uh, maybe Thursday. So, yeah, released on September 15th. It adds, uh, for the Apple 2GS, it adds, uh, and it, of course, that was the 30th anniversary of the release of the 2GS. So this adds uh, GSOS uh, dormant state. It preserves it. Now multiple ProDOS games or programs can be booted and still return to GSOS. It adds a new Bitsy boot utility that allows programs to quit the 8-bit launcher or return to the 16-bit GSOS. There's all kinds of things for the GS. Then for the Apple II, there, uh, the, for the first time, the features and improvements of ProDOS 2.x 
are available on the 6502 based uh, Apple II, Apple II Plus, and unenhanced 2E computers. So this is really important stuff, John. Um, Dave, you know what we we have this rule as far as you know things that we talk about that we want to make sure that it uh, addresses a certain segment of our population. Uh-huh. I, I think the threshold for what you just mentioned uh, is is pretty pretty low. What? what? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I don't know about you. I mean, I recycled my 2E, which was yeah. my last Apple II long ago. Though there are emulators out there. And if you can get the ROMs, which is quasi-legal. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. You could actually run uh, some old Apple II stuff. So uh, I, may, I may find an emulator and fire this up just to relive the old days. Yeah, very important. So I just wanted to make sure we got to that uh, because holy cow. I mean, duh, right? You know, it's... ProDOS 2.4, man. That's, uh, that's... <laughs> I mean, it's funny, the date on the... I, I, you know, I saw a screen snapshot of it, and actually has the date listed as, you know, whatever, whatever, 16. And it's like... So it doesn't even da- say 2016. It's like 16. I'm like, well, which 16? Oh, yeah. The date is very important, because even though it was released on September 15th, 2016, they set the date to be August 16th. Why? Because that way, when you do the date... In uh, day, month, year order, it is a uh, repetitive number. It's sixteen eight sixteen, and so Waz would be uh, happy about that. So it's not quite palindromic, but uh, but it's got the rep- repeating factor there. So they they bumped the release date back a month minus a day, uh, just to, so that the splash screen shows uh, you know this repeating number, which I think is awfully awfully cool. Uh, while we're here, I want to make sure to thank all of you. Uh, I want to thank... Uh, I want to invite you... It, I'm just, it's just going to be one thing today. Invite you to our Facebook group. MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. Come hang out with us there. Ask questions. Other folks, other listeners are there. It's a great place to be. We'd love to see you. MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. I want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com, for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And of course, I want to thank everybody in the podcast marketplace that uh, that helps keep this show going. That is uh, our sponsors today, of course, was uh, Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, Barebones Software at Barebones.com. The folks, the great folks at Gazelle, I just sold one of my old iPhones off to them, gazelle.com, fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, where you get a coupon off of MGG, gets you a 20% off of Power Photos, which we mentioned, Smile at smilesoftware.com, Casper at casper.com slash MGG. I think we made it, John. Do you have anything to, uh, to add? We made it, Dave. You and I, uh, you know, we made it to the train. We made it to Manhattan. We made it back. And um, most importantly, we're here with you today for one very simple reason, in that we didn't get caught. 